Freakwide Vancouver pregame, postgame, every game presented by Bodog for sports odds to free casino games making play at Bodog.net. Wadden and JPad here with you, another edition of the offseason pods. And uh more news. JPad, another day, more news coming from the Vancouver Canucks. It seems like as soon as we stopped recording yesterday, we heard about uh, Ethan Bear and Connor Garland committing themselves to the World Hockey Championship. We'll get to that in just a moment, though. So the Canucks made some major moves behind the bench. Jason King let go after seven years with the organization. Yeah, pretty much a lifer as a Vancouver Canucks. Drafted by the team way back when, broke into the NHL with the organization. Played a couple of seasons. Everybody remembers him as a part of the mattress line. A King and two twins uh, had a That's chance right. to play with the Sedins and had a little uptick in production. Uh, I think he ended up playing four games for Anaheim uh, somewhere along the line uh, and then finished his career in the minors and then got into coaching and started in Utica. I, actually, I think he started coaching uh, in St. John's way back when and then uh, was brought on board by Travis Green down in Utica uh, and then got the promotion to the big league team in 2020 and has been here. And and look, a bit of a survivor, really. When you think about coaching changes in the NHL, like Travis Green was relieved of his duties, but Jason King... Uh, Manises survived that and stayed on under Bruce Boudreau, and then Boudreau got fired, and King survived that as well. That doesn't happen that often in professional sports, uh, where a guy will survive two head coaching changes. Ultimately, uh, he got the news that he didn't want uh, yesterday at the end of the season, but uh, still, uh, you know, I think most people in Vancouver think of Jason King as the guy that oversaw the power play here for the last couple of years. Power play was all right this past season. It was in the top 10 for much of the year. It kind of limped to the finish, although the last couple of games actually had a big finish, but there was a stretch there about 15 games where uh, it it just it didn't quite look right. Uh, ends the year, 22.7%, 62 goals, which was the most goals a Canuck power play had scored since the 2011 team. So in terms of volume, uh, ended up scoring a lot of goals, but by percentage, power plays up around the NHL. 22.7 was 11th in the National Hockey League and by goal scored tied with the Boston Bruins. So keep a pretty good company if you're doing something that the Bruins did, um, tied for 11th in the NHL. But I still think like there is room for this power play to be a top five power play in the league. Patterson, Hughes, Miller, Kuzmenko, and uh, whoever they get to fill the spot that was left behind by Bo Horvat and Bovillier had an opportunity there. Uh, but I don't know that he's the the long-term answer moving forward. Whatever the case, uh, I just think that, you know, every year we always hear about like the Washington Capitals. And one of the reasons that uh, they've had power play success over the years is it's been the same group that's been together forever. And I think you've got that you're in Vancouver. And so I'm kind of curious. Uh, doesn't sound like they're going to replace Jason King. So uh, Rick Tockett, maybe keeping it in house. So whether it's Tockett himself that becomes the guy that runs the power play whether he leans more on Sergei Gonchar. Uh, you've got a couple of Hall of Famers in Daniel and Henrik that are on staff. They uh, know their way around a National Hockey League power play. So I'm kind of curious to see what they do because every team in the league has a power play. Like somebody's, one of the coaches is in charge of the power play. And so I don't know if in this instance it's going to be Tockett uh, or if they kind of dole out responsibility. I also wonder, too, if this opens the door, because one of the things we heard so much at that year-end availability earlier in the week was empowering this leadership group of Hughes, Pedersen, and Miller. You're not going to have a playing power play coach. Like, one of those guys isn't going to be given the, the job title. But I do wonder if they get a louder voice and more say, perhaps, in some of the things that they want to do 
Uh, they're the ones ultimately that have to go out there and execute. And we have this discussion throughout the season. You've heard me say before, like, I just want Pedersen to have more touches of the puck. I don't want him to be a decoy. You know, six power play goals on the season. He showed that he didn't have to have a massive power play total to get to 102 points. But I just think he's so good that he's got to get to double digits at the very least. So uh, rather than using him as the decoy sort of stationed over on that right side, I'd like to see them move him around a little bit. I think he and JT Miller could swap sides at times. Uh, he could certainly shoot the puck the way Miller does when Miller does that, you know, circle around and kind of, you know, the downhill attack the net and score on the snapshot. I just think, you know, and I don't think this was Jason King's fault necessarily, but power play at times looked a little bit stale. So uh, whoever it is, maybe breathe some new life into it. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, look, Jason King's a, generally regarded as a good dude. Uh, likable guy. Uh, you know, I think power play performance spoke for itself. It was good, but I think there's room that it can be a whole lot better. And so for whatever reason, he coached under three head coaches here. Uh, he won't get a chance to uh, continue on with the Canucks, but I would think that there'd be a team that, you know, around the National Hockey League that uh, looks at this power play and thinks, yeah, there's a guy that we can bring in onto the staff. And, and I hope that, uh, hope he lands on his feet. So you don't expect like a Reggie Dunlop from Slapshot to be joining the Canucks anytime soon here? No, no, I don't. Although, hey, uh, outside the box thinking, uh-huh. uh, yeah, you know, uh, put JT Miller in charge. Uh, no, I don't expect that to happen. You know, it's curious. One of the things I was looking at yesterday when I was just kind of going through after the news and I was looking at the Canucks power play. And again, I, I think it was OK. And I think the, the component parts there are, are certainly in place for it to be a whole lot better. One of the curious things to me was. And Jason King did not get let go because of this. But the Canucks were one of four teams that did not score a five-on-three goal all season long. They had six opportunities with a two-man advantage. They went over in four minutes and 19 seconds. Only Florida had more five-on-three time without scoring a goal than the Vancouver Canucks. I think St. Louis and Calgary were the other teams. So you know, we did note that a couple of the post-game pods that we did throughout the year where they had these five-on-threes and they they didn't look very good so again if it's a fresh set of eyes if it's some new thinking again jason king wasn't let go because of that but with that much talent on the ice like zip it around and put the puck in the net when you get your opportunities make the most of them so uh, just something to chart moving forward with the vancouver connects for next season you hit reset and you know every year's a little bit different so uh, we'll see what they look like five on three is again they only had six opportunities it wasn't like you know they were getting one a game but in those six opportunities of four minutes and 19 seconds with two man advantages, uh, the Canucks were skunked this past season. So that's, again, an area that uh, they have to look to get a little bit better. You mentioned their names there, but do you think the Twins are going to have a, a, a bigger role with this uh, with this bench? Yeah, I, I don't like I had a lot of people suggesting that it was time that they became assistant coaches. I don't get the sense that that's what they want to do at the stage of their career. I don't get the sense that they want to travel and take this on as a full time thing. And when I say travel, NHL travel, because they shuttle back and forth to Abbotsford, and we're hearing an awful lot about the impact that they're having on the farm. And so I think you continue in that role, but they're right there. They're on the ice with the Canucks on a lot of practice days, one or both of them. And in fact, I noted this a couple of times throughout the year. And look, maybe it's just the sign of the times that we're in now, but there were practices for the Vancouver Canucks this year where Talkett was on the ice. Gonchar, Foot, Mike Yo, Jason King, Daniel Henrik, Ian Clark as the wow. goalie coach, and they've got Yogi Swakovsky, who some people may know the name, but he's their skills coach. 
And he's generally on the ice at practice. He does a lot of work with guys that are rehabbing and coming back from injury and are out on the ice as well. You know, and he's a guy that played in the NHL and he's, I'm sure, got some thoughts too. So, you know, maybe he gets a, an increased role uh, in all of this. But, you know, whatever the case, if you've got Daniel and Henrik on the payroll and they're around the hockey club, like, you'd be foolish not to lean into their expertise. I mean, they did things their own way. I'm not expecting all of a sudden JT Miller to become a master of the slap pass, but but just the way they, they think the game and the way they think offense, like, why wouldn't you uh, bring them into power play meetings and those types of things? So, you know, essentially in player development, uh, they're almost like consultants. I, I would think that, and Rick talking his name check them, how much he's enjoyed dealing with them, how much he's enjoyed you know, just discussing hockey philosophies and those types of things. They're here, they're on the ground. And again, Sergey Gonchar, that guy knows uh, his way around an NHL power play too. So they've got some expertise in that department. It's just a question of, you know, do you fully define, like, is there going to be a coach that's going to be in charge of the power play? Or, you know, is Rick Talkin going to take that on as the head coach? And one of his sort of side jobs will also be to, to oversee the power play. Quite the lineup that they could put together in a scrimmage with the coaches. Like up front, you got the twins with uh, Tockett. On the back, you got Foot and Gonchar, and you put Ian Clark in goal. That's a pretty good scrimmage line there. That would be a fascinating, like, and again, it would be like, you know, the the Champions Tour of golf because all these guys are an advantage. But like, imagine putting the best six lineup you could for every NHL coaching, coaching staff or yeah. front office. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it'd be wild. I think and, people would watch that. No, and, and, yeah, and I'm not talking about resting on the laurels of their playing days. I'm talking about guys that, you know, have stayed in shape and they could yeah. still get in and get it done uh, even at uh, somewhat advanced ages. Uh, but yeah, there'd be, uh, I mean, there's a wealth of hockey talent that is still in the game without a doubt. I, I like that idea, though, with the Sedins. And I, I think that would, like, if I'm in their situation, I think that would be a, a comfortable spot to be in as well. You talk about the travel, like the travel's grueling, right? And they've been through it. Yep. You've been through it, you know, um, it just, it wears on you. So I, I like that idea of them sort of, you know, staying home and, and taking you know care of business, whether it's down the highway in Abbotsford or here in Vancouver, but I do like them being a part of it. But does that mean now that Sergey Gonchar is going to, you know, be basically be on the bench full time? Well, and, and that's something that I think has to get answered here over the off season, because he's still listed as a defensive consultant. I, I believe his, uh, working relationship was two weeks a, a month. And then the other times he's available, you know, via Zoom or whatever. Uh, I think Dallas is still his uh, his off season base or his in season base. So yeah, I I don't know if they're going to redefine sort of the roles of some of the guys on the coaching staff. But uh, uh, look, Rick Hockett likes to be hands on. I think we know that about him, and it wouldn't shock me. I mean, you know, we talk about all these other guys that well, Tockett knew his way to the net as well and played in those Pittsburgh teams and then coached those Pittsburgh teams that that won Stanley Cups and I think he was responsible for the power play as the coach in Pittsburgh so again maybe this is him just saying yeah you know I want to be a little bit more hands-on here uh I do worry if it's Rick talking on the power play as much as he was a you know like had the 109 point season but he always talks about the wall work like they're not going to just dump the puck into the corner and then like all five go chase it and like win more battles on the power play <laughs> I hope not. I don't think so. Yeah. What do you think of this? Like, I know Quinn Hughes is, you know, just a magician with the puck. He doesn't have the hardest shot. Mm-hmm. Do you think Philip Veronic perhaps gets a little more time? Like, they, maybe they share that duty a little bit more on PP, perhaps one, maybe they give two a little bit more just because of the shot that he presents? Or do you think that in today's sort of NHL, 
that that sort of weapon has sort of been, you know, taken down a little bit. Yeah. I mean, we don't see like Al McKips at the point. Yeah. You know, just the bomb. It's just hard collapses. to get through now, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah. around the net and there's so yeah. many bodies and sticks and things. Uh, again, you've got Elias Patterson, an elite one-timer. We know that, but it's used more as a decoy than, like, for whatever reason, it just, it, it wasn't there for him this year. All of his power play goals, and he scored the sixth, but all of them came after the coaching change. So he didn't score a power play goal for Bruce Boudreau this season, which is nuts when you think of just, he's out there every power play, you know, Buck does come to him. He hits some posts and crossbars, and again, if a few of those go in, maybe the the conversation is different. But, you know, what I like, and we saw it at times down the stretch was when they rotated a little bit, like Hughes has so much skill. He can work the half wall on the power play and still make passes. Uh, and then sometimes they got Pedersen up at the top and, you know, he's got the big shot there. JT Miller's thing. So many of these guys at this level, they can shoot the puck, but you know, I got, if it was me at times, just to keep defenses on edge and, and keep them honest, like I would flip Pedersen and Miller and let Elias Pedersen work on that left side. Because everything seems to run through Miller yeah. and Hughes. You know, they pack and forth and Miller with the drop, drop passes back to Hughes. And then they slide it over to Pedersen. And we saw it in Los Angeles late in the season. You know, Pedersen got a little closer to the net, got to inside the faceoff dot. And he's just got, you know, an absolutely wicked wrist shot, too. It doesn't always have to be the big one-timer uh, if he gets time and space and you can get him a little closer to the net. So... You know, these are smart hockey minds, uh, the players themselves, but this coaching staff as well. I have to think they'll figure it out. But I, I, I do think that they should take it on as a challenge. Like, I just think that there is enough there. And you know, we're talking like tenths of a percentage point, really. Like their power play was 22.7. If you can get it up close to 24, you're probably leaping four or five spots. Like, I just think that top five should be the aim. And maybe you don't quite get there because maybe other teams have Really good power plays, too. But I think in a league where every point matters and you're in so many close games where a power play goal here and obviously shoring up a penalty killing, and we know that there's plenty of room for improvement on the penalty kill side. But, you know, if you can bump up the power play, I, I just think that the talent the Canucks possess, that power play should be able to win them, you know, five to eight games a year where a tight game, you get a late power play, boom, back of the net. That's the difference in a hockey game. And so I think they should take it on as a challenge to be one of the top five power plays in the National Hockey League next season. All right. Uh, I mentioned it off the top, but Ethan Bear is going to play for Canada at the World Hockey Championship. And so is Connor Garland going to play for the United States as well. Um, I know we asked the question in a poll question whether it was the right decision for Elias Patterson. And there was a little more hanging in the balance for Elias Patterson, big contract uh, negotiation this summer. So there were some sort of pitfalls if you were uh if you will that is uh for him going to play at the world hockey championships but i think with ethan bear and connor garland i mean bear doesn't have a contract right now it sounds like the canucks are uh working their way to uh re-signing him but garland is comfortable right now i think this is a good opportunity though for definitely for ethan bear uh, to just show, show sort of show the canucks brass a little bit more here although uh, according to patrick galvin i think he's made up his mind in terms of uh, how much the player is worth. Yeah, there's a couple of things that jumped to mind for me with Ethan Bear. One is uh, he and his wife uh, just had a baby, uh, you know, towards the back end of the season. So good on him. I mean, I think a lot of guys would have used that as an out and just say, I've got a young family, want to spend time with the, you know, my wife and, and child. Uh, so he's uh, elected to, and 
this year it's Finland and Latvia. Like, you know, it's an undertaking, just the travel involved to get there. Uh, the other thing with Bear is, as you said, no contract for next year. Usually that's an automatic out for guys that they're not willing to put themselves in that position uh, just because of the risks involved. Where Elias Patterson has a contract for next year. The risk for him is some sort of catastrophic injury. I don't even want to mention it, but, you know, would deal with future earnings. But yeah. he's got a contract for next year where Ethan Bear doesn't. Uh, and Connor Garland on big ice, I think, could be a lot of fun, actually. Uh, more room to, to spin and just get lost over in the corner. Just spin. spin. Wee! There's like... <laughs> uh, like that Homer Simpson when he's running around on <laughs> the carpet. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, you know, he's a creative guy uh, with more room to, to do his thing. Uh, you know, there's so many Americans on that Can- on that Canuck team from JT Miller to Brock Besser, Thatcher Demko, when he already told us the, for family reasons, he's out. Uh, but Connor Garland sounds like he's answering the call. So, look, there's sort of two ways of looking at it. One is disappointing that the season ends when it does. Guys don't feel like they're ready to, you know, call it a year yet. They want to continue to play hockey, meaningful hockey. So they answer the call of their country. Uh, but it was funny because Rick Talkett was asked late in the year about, and I think it was when Pedersen had mentioned that he was considering playing for Sweden. And somebody asked Talkett, you know, what do you think of guys going and playing at the Worlds? And he mentioned that he played once uh and enjoyed the experience but then he was quick to say but you know we've got these four and a half months here and you know we really want guys to put that to good use and start preparing for next year and it almost sounded like didn't like the idea of some of his players going over to the world so i think most guys like when the season ends and i can't speak you know it's a broad brush statement but i think most guys step away from the game for a little bit and then kind of get back, you know, they do some work off the ice in the gym uh, to keep their fitness levels up. But a lot of the guys won't start skating until, you know, July 1st or maybe even deeper into the summer than that. Um, so, like, I, I don't know what Tockett's concerns are necessarily, because if you're going to the Worlds, I would think you would do everything to, you know, start your training and keep your fitness up. And so even if it's not thinking about next year for the Canucks, you're thinking in the short term of being ready to go represent your country, uh, which in turn should keep you in the right mind frame of preparation and health and nutrition. And like You're not going to let yourself go and then just show up to play the world. You're probably going to be busting it here for the next couple of weeks and so that you're ready to to hit the ground running uh, when the world championship begins. But yeah, I just thought it was interesting to hear from talking that he... And that was my interpretation. Maybe I misread him a little bit, but it didn't sound like he was as high on the idea of some of his players this year going to play the Worlds. And of course, we all saw what happened last year with Oliver Rickman Larson, uh, the foot injury, and that's the da- the danger and the downside. Uh, but, you know, that can't be a reason not to go, right? Like, just one guy got hurt. They're not all going to get hurt. Um, so uh, it was unfortunate for OEL, but I can understand why he, if Oliver Rickman Larson, and I don't know that he was on uh, Sweden's radar for this tournament, but I would think this year uh, he'd be best to sit it out and just, you know, take the full summer here to devote to training for the Vancouver Canucks so that he's ready for training camp when it rolls around in September. Talking played on the 1990 Team Canada World uh, Championship team, had six points in 10 games. Greg Adams representing the Canucks on that team as well, nine points in 10 games. Stevie, why? 19 points in 10 <laughs> games at nine goals. Stevie Y. It was, a bit, it was a pretty stacked team. Paul Coffey was on that team as well. Al McGinnis. Doug Gilmore. Talk, like, talk, talked like, about 
coffee sort of convinced him to go and play. I can't remember. Does it say where that tournament was? In uh, front of you? I take a look here. Uh, it was, da, 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 da. yeah, it doesn't say <laughs> that makes for great podcast here. But yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, listen, maybe, maybe there's, maybe he knows something about the tournament that, you know, maybe he's like, yeah, and don't get me wrong, guys are going to stay fit, but you know, it's a vacation, right? Like, I know you're representing Canada, but it's not the Olympics, the world hockey champs. I've heard stories that it's quite the party. Now, I don't know if that is for the players as well, but I know definitely media that go there absolutely love going to it. So maybe there's something there. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's the travel. Maybe Taka doesn't want the travel. Who knows? But uh, he's only, well, right now we only know a, cu- a couple of players that are going to be going. There could perhaps be more, but we'll have to see here uh, as these rosters get unveiled. Um, oh, so that was the 1990? 1990. That- yeah. It says 89. Well, it'd be 90 because it'd be the spring, right? Okay. So, so it yeah. was played in, in Switzerland, Bern, Switzerland. Oh, there you go. See, yeah. that's a fantastic vacation right there. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but uh, the quotes from uh, Brock Besser in Ian McIntyre's latest piece on Sportsnet, uh, just saying, you know, he kind of lost his love for hockey last year. Quoted of saying, I'm not going to lie, there were some days that were hard to come to the rink, but the last month I've been excited to come to the rink. And we heard Brock Besser say that, you know, he wants to stay here and all that. But I mean, I don't want to say, does that come as a surprise to you because of everything that he went through this year? But at the same time too, like, okay, like Brock Besser, it's time to turn the page on everything. And, and as, you know, sort of tough as that is to say, you know, now is the time that not only do the Canucks need to figure out what exactly they want with Brock Besser, you know, what Brock Besser really wants out of his NHL career as well. Yeah, I read the piece and, you know, nice job by Ian and, and yeah. got some good quotes. I will say, because I think Ben Kuzma had also had a similar discussion with Brock uh, towards the back end of the season where he hinted at some of those things. I think there was a little more detail in this piece here, but one of the things that stuck out from the Kuzma question and answer a couple of weeks back was, and Brock said, like, you know, out on the road, you're in hotel rooms and just all this time to yourself and, you know, your mind kind of wanders. And uh, he talked a little bit about his focus and how difficult it was this year. And I, I can understand it. Like, you know, his, and, and I haven't lost my father, so I, you know, I can't yeah. put myself in Brock's shoes, but I think I can understand this idea that, you know, he started to, he wanted to be back home with his family, knowing uh, how ill his dad was and ultimately that the end was was likely near. And and it became sort of, you know, hockey was the focus of, like, it's keeping me away from being yeah. with my, 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 da- my dying dad, and therefore I'm hating hockey. And as he said, like, he, he realizes he doesn't hate hockey, but in that moment it's sort of understandable. And then... You know, everybody grieves differently and people should say, oh, you're making, you know, we spent so much time talking about him and his contract and ultimately the guy's a human being and a relatively young human being to lose your dad. And so he's processed uh, a lot, but, you know, there, there's no statute of limitations on on grieving. And so, uh, you know, if it was with him all season long, I think that's understandable. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was fairly candid and revealing. And, uh, you know, I like the part where he talked about, like, no excuses. Like, I, I you know, I'm tired of talking about 30 goals in the predelli. I'm just, you know, I'm not going to answer those. Yeah. I'm just like, until I get there, like, you know, so it's, 
you know, to quote, we're talking, it's a big summer. Uh, and whether it's here in Vancouver or whether Besser gets moved, uh, it does feel like a big summer for him. And it sounds like he was going to train a little bit differently and, and understands the assignment here so that when he gets to next year's training camp again, whether it's a, as a Canuck or if he's on a new team, you know, he puts himself in a position to get ahead of the curve. Because as we said, part of the issue for him is these slow starts the last couple of years. And then, you know, the heat gets turned up, all the talk in the marketplace. Like, wouldn't it be incredible to see him come firing out of the gate and, you know, score 10 goals early and put himself way ahead of a pace that would get him to 30 and beyond. And then, you know, you build in a little wriggle room and, you know, obviously you're not going to score every single night, but I like Brock Besser. He seems like a really good guy. I've always enjoyed my dealing with him. You know, I find myself pulling for him, but at the same time, he's got the contract he does and it's on him to try to live up to it. And that's been difficult. And, you know, I, I still think with ideal conditions, 30 is not a stretch. Like I, I, I do think he could be a 30 goal scorer, but all of a sudden it becomes hard to be a 30 goal scorer when you've got eight goals at the midway mark and now you need 22 goals in the second half of the season and essentially have to be a, you know every other night at that point to get to 30. So I'd love to see him train a little differently. You know, do whatever it takes, try to find that next step that he talked about because he recognizes that when he gets up to speed, he's okay, but it's getting up to speed. Um, you know, so how does he go about training all the kind of stuff this summer? Like, it's going to be uh, really interesting to see, uh, you know, does he look different when he arrives at training camp? And again, we'll know if we get a chance to evaluate that or if uh, he's moved on uh, here over the off season. Yeah, and, and, you know, tough life lesson for him, really, in terms of, you know, just don't make promises. You know, like yeah. it just, hey, just, and he said it, you know, I'm just going to stop hey, saying it to you guys. I, I like, was the guy that asked the question. Like, yeah. you know, and again, like I, I, I feel like I've got a pretty good working rapport with Brock Besser. Um, <laughs> you know, I think, but it was, behind the, it was behind the rink up at uh, Whistler at training camp. And I just said like, Brock, there's been so much talk all these years about you being a 30 goal scorer. Is this yeah. the year? And that's when he looked at me and he's like, this is the year. And we know that it wasn't the year, but, uh, you know, it's probably a good idea for him. Like, don't put numbers out there because uh, it is tough to live up to them. And, you know, just going, authority has to be in the back of his mind. And uh, again, I still think under the right circumstances, he can get there, but it's on him. Like nobody's going to, you know, get there for him. Uh, this is pro sports and, you know, you've got to show up and, you're getting the paycheck, so you got to earn your keep. And, and again, we'll see uh, if he can get to, to 30 goals. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience, whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. And 
And joining us now, Patrick Johnson from the province, Post Media. It's Friday. We're going to be talking to PJ again on Fridays here uh, throughout the offseason. How are you today, PJ? You're right on time, by the way. Thank you for Big being pressure. Right on so much pressure every Friday. No games. So I, I have the feature, like, you don't have games to talk about. So are you guys going to do, like, a post-game thing just yeah. about what our conversation was like? Is that how it's this is going to work? be the dancing monkey for us. We're going to get you to perform every Friday. What do you think of Jason King getting left go by the by by the Canucks? Uh, it, I mean, it was a crowded bench. I, in general, I would say teams in most sports have been going towards more coaches, not less. Um, but hockey tends to like these things. But then again, they've got other guys. I I don't know. I mean, he had a very specific he he had or he had been handed a very specific role on the staff. You know, basically running the power play. But you know, I found myself thinking a lot about a lot of the power play practices we saw this year and how often it was almost the players directing things themselves. There is a role for a coach, of course. He needs to sort of pick and choose, but, you know, so much of this power play picks and chooses itself. So I wasn't that surprised. I mean, he, he I think, he did a pretty solid job, uh, you know, but turnover happens every, you know, every year on every team. You know, he, of course, had had gotten the NHL job simply because the Canucks had not re-upped with Manny Malhotra in that season where the ownership wasn't going to spend anything. You know, they walked away from free agents and uh, walked away from a very, very qualified coach and highly regarded coach. You know, so he got the promotion there. And then, but, you know, he was the last guy. He was the only guy from remaining from the previous staff that was still around. So, no, not surprised. I mean, he'll get another job and hockey will continue. Yeah. Well, do, do you see a, a, do you see this power play improving? Because Jeff and I were talking about it just in the first second. You know, perhaps see, with the people that they have, like they, it can get better here. And and they were eleventh in the league, and they were yeah. within the top ten most of the season. Sort of dipped at the end, but um, you know, do you see room for improvement? Sure. I mean, it is a it is funny to sort of look at see that you know the average power play is over twenty percent now. You know, sort yeah. of especially when we think back to how impressive twenty. You know, twenty five percent seems to be back in the day. Now we're talking the Oilers running above thirty. Uh, it's such a spe- it's such a specialized part of the game now uh, that uh, you know, and you see the talent and the the, the shooters available. Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely think it can get better, and certainly it ran quite hot. You know, I think mid season, especially when they still have Bo Horvat, they've got to figure out that element. I think the Horvat was such a you know he had become such a threat as a you know that guy tipping in the slot they've got to they've, they've kind of got to re- recreate that if they can you know as long as that's a viable thing as I I think I've talked about here I mean I've talked in general you know the the sort of uh, specialization or the the sort of recognition the Canucks clearly have that if you tried to go for these uh you know high off the net tips redirections that sort of thing that that was a that was a thing that was that sort of an unexploited area in the game? You know, the 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 guys with the the two leading tip goal players, based on NHL data, were Andre Kuzmenko and Bo Horvat. Like, and it wasn't even close. Um, it was something that they they've long talked about, but I think really had fine tuned this year. And, and you know, the comparison I've often made is you know looking at soccer, and for a long time, Atletico Madrid was known for they're basically focused on like corner kicks and scoring up corner kicks in a way that teams just weren't doing. Because they recognized no one was trying it anymore, so let's do this. Nobody knows how to defend it. This, and I saw a lot of that in how the Canucks were trying to run things in in the slot, similar kind of terms. Like let's let's exploit something that teams don't think about. So you know, I imagine teams are gonna a lot of teams will spend the off season figuring out how to defend against 
or how to take that sort of opportunity away. So, you know, as long as that, you know, so maybe that's over, maybe it's over next year and that's, they'll have to find a new whole new thing. But yeah, you, you, it can always be better. I mean, I think Jeff, you pointed out this wasn't six goals for PD. I mean, you yeah. asked him about it at the press conference. You know, you double that and all of a sudden he's talking about 50 goals and closer or getting, getting to 50 goals and, you know, top players like a guy like Pedersen. I think that's the biggest challenge for him. I think more than anything, if it's possible for him to improve on this season is to figure out how to score goals in more ways on the power play. I think he got caught himself too much on the right. I would love to see him in the slot. I would love to see him on the left side, you know, so a little more motion, you know, the, the, the possibilities, they're very, very, there's a lot of possibilities for this lineup. Our first chance to catch up with you since uh, the press conferences you, you referenced, but also you made the trek out to Abbotsford the other yeah. night. So this sort of dovetails into all of that because Patrick Galvin told us doesn't plan to spend a whole lot on the backup goaltending position, <laughs> understandably given their cap constraints. Yeah, backup goaltending isn't an issue until it is, and they found that out the hard way this year. So, given what we've heard from Alvin and what you saw from Spencer Martin the other night, what's Patrick Johnson's best vision of you know who's going to be the backup to Thatcher Demko? And you hope that that they don't have to lean on their backup an awful lot. But how do you see them addressing that position moving forward? You know, it's funny, Jeff. Right before, uh, not well, not right before we talked here, but not <laughs> a few minutes ago. I mean, I'm working on a story today, sort of who's staying, who's going, just kind of quick rundown of that kind of thing. And you know, you go back through the press conference and you look at the quotes and the comments, and I actually have essentially the Alvin answer in front of me about how he essentially ran down the goalies yep. and you know the question was about the sea lobs i think it was from you again great question jeff <laughs> um but you know talked about sea lobs talked about martin or maybe it was coos was it coos asked, Who's asked about calling delia, delia that's what it was yes. no that's right sorry that's what it is yeah so it was the delia question and then he sort of said yeah delia won a bunch of games for us yeah that's something to think about and then said Basically, well, we already have four goalies under contract. Okay. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I think if they could maybe have a, a do-over, I wonder if they'd rather have Colin Delia coming back versus Spencer Martin. But they made the choice they did. Spencer Martin, um, he was great. I mean, he was, here's the thing. And it was such a statement about how bad things were in the fall. The Canucks, even before Thatcher Demko got hurt, we're not losing because of their goalies. They weren't getting goaltending, but they were so bad defensively that the goaltending never even had a chance. And what we saw on Wednesday night in Abbotsford was a very composed performance by the Canucks AHL defense, um, you know, led by the likes of Noah Juleson, you know, who's a guy that, uh, you know, I think has an interesting arc here now. Um, you know, on his what third organization, um, never the best skater. And that's always been, I think his biggest, biggest issue. Uh, but you know, can, can play the game pretty well. And at the HL level is a very strong, impressive player. And a lot of that is because he can read the game at the NHL level and the AHL game is slower. It's sloppier. Puck management is not as good. Passing is not as good. Um, and, and you can, you, if you have your kind of NHL fundamentals down, even if you're not great at them in the NHL, you can be a useful player in the NHL. So we saw a very stable environment in front of Spencer Martin and he played great. And the only goal that went in was kicked in and was waved off. Um, you know, so you see that and you kind of go, okay, what if, 
And that's clearly, you know, I think we go back, it's everything they've talked about, right? They, it is, I would say, refreshing that they're not just sitting here hoping for internal improvement like the last regime did, but they're basically going, no, we have to play better and we have to play better defensively. We have to have a better system. We have to give our goalies a chance. And so from that standpoint, I can see why if, if they are going to go back to Spencer Martin as their number two next year, why that might be a thing. You know, the other thing, of course, he's on a one way. So yeah. parking a guy on a one way in Abbotsford <laughs> isn't exactly, you know, efficient in terms of cash. Now his hit, his hit actually isn't, you know, compared to Archer Silov's, you know, it's not really an issue. You know, one or the other is going to be there, I think. Um, but you can see the sort of rationale why they would, you know, in the end, in terms of spending actual dollars, they'd rather have Spencer Martin in the NHL. So um, that to me is the obvious one. Of course, you know, Martin could have a terrible training camp, just not look ready in preseason games. And they have to go see loves um, because it's pretty, you know, just from talking to Ian Clark, when I wrote about um, Tolopilo, the new Belarusian kid that they're bringing over, like he's going to be the other guy in Abbotsford. Like they need, he's a, he's a project. They're, they're, they're hugely excited about the sort of raw potential there that the progress he's shown essentially having only, I, I, I mean, I'm guessing here, I know he's actually said this to me, but there's not a lot of Belarusian, Belarusian goalie coaches. Um, you know, it, it, this is a guy that would have been figuring a lot of it out himself. And the progress he's shown just having two years of sort of the high, the high end goalie coaching that you get in Sweden, uh, tells you why they're excited to have him there. So they'll have him in Abbotsford and one of Martin or Silovs will be the other guy in Abbotsford and the other guy will be the backup in the NHL next year. Let's just stick with Abby for a sec. Uh, and I read uh, your piece after the game the other night and I saw other guys that were out there as well. Uh, it seemed pretty unanimous that Nils Hoagleder was oh, uh, the best skater on the ice. Yes, absolutely. There was a shift early in the game where he he just came in like a you know like a wrecking ball, and uh, it was one of those ones where uh, Bakersfield was kind of resetting themselves for a breakout, and he just said he just said f that, <laughs> and he just basically was a one man wrecking crew. I don't remember who the defenseman was, but just got in on him at such on such an angle and with such velocity that the guy turned the puck over. Like he, you know, Hoaglander put him in the board, into the glass. The guy couldn't even get it, couldn't even rim it. He just turned, he just took his stick away and he just went right into him, took his stick away, took the puck. Now it was one of those moments where it was a, then a very AHL moment where Hoaglander kind of jumped ahead of the game and did, well, wouldn't it be cool if there was a guy racing down the slot? And so he flipped the puck into the slot and it didn't matter. So, you know, he turned the puck over and then kind of turned it back over. But he was also, you know, in the end, that's kind of how it goes. But that's a play at the NHL level if he could pull that off. Now, is will a defenseman be dithering behind the goal the way they did? You know, that's not necessarily. But if you could pull it off, there is going to be someone in the slot because, got, you know, the NHL players are just that good. Um, but the point was that was he, he, he set the tone for the game and his, whole, his line playing with Max Sasson. And Max Sasson is a very interesting player to me now because... You can. He's a very smooth, very smart kid. Plays the game really well, and in a in a, in a, uh, a prospect pool that is very light on centers. Now, I'm not saying this guy is going to be a top two center in the NHL. There is a reason I mentioned, you know, Zach Aston Reese and Teddy Bluger in the comparison because in that list of you know, by the because I made the comparison because Alvin mentioned how there were sort of five or six guys on on their Stanley Cup teams that had played that same year in the AHL. You know, one of those guys is like Jake Gensel. So Jake Gensel is not a comparable from Max right. Assassin. Yeah. But, but your grinders, you know, in both those years, 
both in 2016 and 2017, those guys came through the through the team system, um, and and became useful players down the stretch in the NHL. So you know, Sasson, the Sasson Hoaglander, and Kyle Rao, who's this long-standing veteran AHL guy, that they were far and away the best line on the ice between the two teams. They made stuff happen. They were on the puck. They did all the stuff that you know Rick Tockett likes. And Rick Tockett, you know, the whole brass was there. I mean, I mentioned that that Rutherford and and Aquilini had carpooled together and were there. But everybody was, you know, Tockett was there. They were all watching. And Hoaglander stood out, you know, and he scored the first goal of the game, which initially, you know, you choked about, wait, what's going on? And I swear to God, guys, Sasson was hit back to us. I didn't even see him swipe the puck. All we saw was Hoaglander, and Hoaglander got the goal again. But, you know, got the puck on the sideboards, drove to the slot, got a hard shot off, picked up the rebound, and there were two sticks on it, but, you know, got the goal and then was involved in this fantastic tic-tac-toe play that basically left Sasson looking at the whole map. One of those ones where it's almost like you close your eyes. He's like, I don't even know where. I just knew I had to get it on net. Like, I probably put it right in the middle, which you're not supposed to do, but he put it on net and 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 got a really nice goal after a fact, you know, and and that that was why Hoaglander, you can see... Yeah, there were, as I said, in my story. There were two purposes to send him to, to Abbotsford. One, he had no confidence. He wasn't. The, the, the environment was terrible. The things were going south. You know, as Alvin sort of has argued, is why he felt he had to change the coach then because things were going so south. They had to do something. Um, and and you know, at, at least at that point, because obviously, for you know, right before Christmas. I mean, I guess if you're not going to be able to change the coach right before Christmas, what else can you do? Like, you can start sending guys out. And Hoaglander got sent down, and the whole point was for him to rediscover his confidence. And we know there were elements to his game they wanted him to improve. And that, in the end, the test will be, can he actually execute in the NHL level as a two-way player, um, you know, do all the other bits and pieces they want him to be. But, you know, I, I, I see a player who, you know, obviously they're deep on deep, as I use air quotes, <laughs> on wing. Um, yeah. But, you know, he's a guy that clearly, you know, if he keeps playing like that, he's going to be an effective NHL player again. Yeah. And if he progresses either way, whether it's with the Canucks or whether they can move him, it's, yeah. I think that bodes well for the yeah. organization. And I think Canuck fans would like to hear that as well about uh, Nils Hoaglander too. So um, be standing by your phone though tonight. You might get that call from Aquilini and Rutherford to carpool to the game tonight, perhaps. Uh, no, I'm not going. Oh, oh you're not yeah. going? Okay. Staying home. Yeah. They, they can... won't send the Bentley then. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, PJ. Well, like I said, uh, we'll be chatting with you on Fridays moving forward here in the offseason. Enjoy your weekend, and uh, we'll chat with you again next week. All right, take care, guys. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Rinkwide Vancouver is presented by Bodog, Canada's home for casino games and sports odds, where everybody goes to play. Many thanks to Patrick Johnson for joining us. Let's get into a little bit of playoff talk here. Of course, it's presented by Jason Hominick at Jason.Mortgage. Leafs uh, even up the series with a well, dominant on, win. Let's, let's just start with the fact that you, you shot for the stars last night with your your best bet. Well, I, yeah, okay. I was going to 
go into that, but sure. Okay. We'll start there. Yeah. I had, I called it the, even the series four team parlay had right. all the teams on the money line that didn't win. It was all the home teams, right? Uh, that had all lost. And I hit on all of them except for the devils let you down, man. Okay. Let's start there. Actually devils. They are, are what, where, what happened? Where are they? Exactly I mean, what I said before yeah. I started. I was in on the Rangers. You loved your devils. Uh, <laughs> I thought speed I just, was going to be in. Like, I just, nah. I thought for them that the young team, you know, hadn't been there before, you know, just play their ass off. And nope, the Rangers have dictated this series. And so I was watching. I mean, it was one of the early games along with the Leafs in Tampa. And I was watching the Leafs in Tampa. And obviously that one was uh, done and dusted early. And, and so I flipped over to the Rangers and the Devils, and I'd been watching, go back and forth, but there were like six minutes left, and the refs were having none of it in that Devils range. They were just throwing everybody out of the game, uh, misconduct after misconduct. And I thought, like, there's still, like, six minutes is a long time in hockey. Uh, and they were down to, like, ten skaters aside, and I thought, like, you, you're just inviting more trouble at that point, and if you're going to keep doing this with all these misconducts, like, you're going to get down, there's going to be five minutes left in the game, and there's going to be, five, you're going to ask the same five guys to finish up garbage time. So, like, you got to have somebody for the coaches yeah. to play. Anyways, it settled down, and they did, the clock ran out. But uh, I, I'm a little surprised that there hasn't been more... Uh, more of a show from the devils but they're in trouble like they're in a world of hurt now going back across the river and uh rangers in full control there but like i'm not surprised i I thought the rangers would win that series i didn't expect them to get the first two at prudential center so that's a little bit of a surprise to me it was also a surprise to see colorado get out to or get seattle get out to the lead that they did again and i thought like look out but as i watched that game like man colorado found its game in the second period and ultimately a win that they had to have so i think they could probably exhale a little bit kind of like the oilers uh getting the win that they needed before uh that series shifted but uh that was fun like that's just a fast series like you talked about the devils and their speed and they haven't been able to use it necessarily but man that seattle colorado that thing has been a track meet the first yeah. couple of games like seeing devon taves or devon taves excuse me score the uh, game winner as well in that one the abbotsford native i'm what a steal he was for that yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, so you mentioned that the Leafs then, there you go. They, they end up even up the series, a 7-2 win over Tampa, uh, Tavares with a hat trick, uh, just a massive response. You know, the amount of pressure that's on, uh, those guys, it, but right off the bat, I mean, just a beautiful play by Mitch Marner to steal that pass and then essentially, uh, drew, drew the penalty and then the power play goes to work. Uh, listen, I think if you saw what was happening with the defense, uh, with the Tampa Bay lightning and you were a betting man, you would probably have put some money down on the lease to take that one last night. I mean, it all depends on what happens. I think with the blue line for Tampa right now, if it continues to not have Cernak and not have Edman, I don't know how long Tampa's going to be able to last, but if they can get those guys back in the lineup, feels like yeah, this one could be a long one. Yeah, I mean, I have to think at some point Kucherov and Stamkos and Point will step their games up. I mean, the ball's back in their court now, uh, but you're right. I mean, the back end, like, you know, Hedman, he's probably in the back side of his career, but he's still Victor Hedman, and he can be a a force for them. Uh, But for Toronto to get that many on Vasilevsky, and John Cooper talked about after the game, went to him, asked him if he wanted out, and he said, nope, like, I want to play. But still, for Toronto's confidence to score that many goals on Andre Vasilevsky, uh, that's a, a big deal. But, you know, like I, I looked at the opener and in the first game of the series, Tampa got goals from like 
Belmar and and Corey Perry, you're not going to get goals from those guys every game. And that's why Tampa needs its best players to step up and kind of make a statement. And game three would be a good time for them to yeah. to do that as the series shifts. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard to know. Two lopsided wins, one each there. Like, I have to think that that's, that series will settle down. Like, I don't think the winner is going to get seven goals uh, every game. Uh, I think that there will be some 3-2 maybe even a 2-1 game in there somewhere along the line, but uh, there is enough firepower that I'm not surprised that goals have been scored. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's kind of hard to figure out, like, you know, where does the truth lie? Because uh, both those games have been, you know, a, a sort of outside the norm a little bit, uh, just from what I think people anticipated the way that they would go. So yeah, I mean, it's been wildly entertaining. Lots going on, the stuff of the penalty box, the guy in the yellow hoodie. Uh, there was just an awful lot happening in that uh in that Toronto game, but uh, I do think that the series will settle down a little bit uh, the deeper it goes. Shades of Ty Domi back in the yeah. day with that uh, guy yeah. coming over the top. Uh, Golden Knights then, even... The- yeah, Vegas, like, and, and look, I got to be up front because uh, I shortchanged them two points. I called them a 109-point team yesterday. They got Ugh. 111. Uh, again, not totally sure how, but when I watched them in the second period sort of take control of that game, uh, that looked more like a... a conference champion kind of performance uh but Winnipeg got the split like they go home they'll be happy the whiteout uh, it'll be a wild environment there uh as the series shifts to the north so um look I'm all I'm all about long series I, I just the entertainment value I don't yep. think you know Rangers are in position to sweep or at least they're I mean it's only two wins but they certainly look like they've got the potential to sweep the Devils now as it shifts to MSG but uh, all these other ones that are tied great like serve it up. Uh, I'm down for some long series uh, here in the first round. Just remarkable of Mark Stone to just be you know, at full yeah. health right when the playoffs. Yep. I just, it's yep. incredible. What a miracle there. <laughs> Three-point night for him last night. A Jack Eichel, first career playoff goal as well. That was a nice tip too. Just the, you know, to deflect down, bounced off the ice and and pass Connor. That save that Connor Hellebuck made early off Eichel though, oh my God. Like, yeah. I thought that was maybe the save and then uh, Georgiev made an incredible toe save off Jordan Everly when it was 2-2 late in the second period of that. So we've seen some uh, remarkable saves and goaltending, and obviously you're going to get that uh, with so many games being played here. Um, but yeah, I, you know, again, good on Winnipeg for doing what it did in the opener. You know, make a bit of noise there, give Vegas something to think about, but uh, Golden Knights bounce back, and so uh, game on. Now let's see where it goes as uh, things head to the peg. All right. My uh, best bet tonight, I'm going back to Connor McDavid. The guy's got to score a bloody goal at some point. <laughs> I like here. this. Just keep riding him until, yeah. Connor McDavid, anytime goal score, a minus 120. So you got to lay a bit of money to make some, but I don't even care. I'm doing it tonight. You know, I love my plus money. I'm going into the minuses tonight because uh, Connor McDavid's got to do it. One. I need a win here. I'm going to win on the first few nights. So there you have it. All right. Uh, we'll be back, of course. Uh, we'll be doing these throughout the off season here. We'll take the uh, weekend to ourselves. Have a little bit of time off. Enjoy the hockey, everybody. We'll be back next week. A bunch of episodes for you. Many thanks again to Patrick Johnston for joining us. It's been another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver Podcast presented by Bodog. For Jeff Patterson, I'm Andrew Watt. Remember, Rinkwide is the show that always scores.